Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need the shortwave radio with the schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Sputnik Radio, Radio Havana Cuba, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and NHK Japan. We will begin with Russia's Sputnik Radio. On his program called Sputnik Orbiting the World, George Galloway interviewed Professor Alfred Desaius, an American lawyer and historian who is the UN Special Rapporteur on the Promotion of a Democratic and Equitable International Order. What's the point of the United Nations if it cannot keep peace and find conflict resolution? He talks about the high levels of propaganda and fake history filling the mainstream media today. How many war crimes have been committed with impunity by NATO? What about Julian Assange? Sputnik Radio. What's the point of the United Nations? if it cannot keep peace and find conflict resolution. If anybody knows, our next guest knows. He is a lawyer and historian, and he was the UN Special Rapporteur on the promotion of a democratic and equitable international order. He's the author of nine books, the latest titled Building a Just World Order. I'm glad to say Dr. Professor Alfred Desaius joins us now. Why all this chaos in the world? We do have a rules-based international order in the UN Charter. And we have multiple wonderful resolutions of the General Assembly and of ECOSOC and of the Human Rights Council. We have the special procedures, us, the rapporteurs and independent experts, if indeed they're independent. But as the case may be, we rapporteurs are nothing better than an assembly of Cassandras because no one pays any attention to us. And although I have moral vertigo when I see what our governments are doing, I am an American citizen, but it's US and it's UK and it's France and it's Germany. And we're stepping all over the world. We are bombing the whole world. We're killing tens of thousands of people. And there's impunity. The International Criminal Court is not about to touch Tony Blair or about to touch George W. Bush or about to touch, for that matter, our Saint Barack Obama. When Niels Meltzer, rapporteur on torture, said that Assange is a victim of torture by the United Kingdom. When he demands his immediate release, what does the UK do? Laugh at him. When I demanded that as independent expert on international order, I was laughed at also. The same thing goes when the 
Human Rights Council issues a report critical of the good guys. And who, of course, are the good guys by definition? The United States, the United Kingdom, France, England, etc. However, we are on our high horse, and we're always pointing fingers, all oh, the bad Cubans and Nicaraguans and Venezuelans and Syrians, all oh, this Bashar al-Assad, all oh, this Putin and this Lukashenko and this Xi Jinping. These are the baddies. Well, this kind of narrative and this kind of propaganda does have an impact in the world. And as I wrote in one of my uh, many articles, the only war that NATO has ever won is the information war. It's the propaganda war. I mean, Goebbels is a little child in comparison to our propaganda machine from Washington or from London. And when we talk about war crimes and crimes against humanity, how many have been committed with impunity by NATO? How many false flag incidents we have invented? And what are we doing now in the conflict between Russia and NATO, Russia and the Ukraine? We are escalating, we're escalating. Nothing but creating hysteria in the populations in England, in uh, Scotland, in Ireland, in, uh, even in Switzerland. You wouldn't believe the kind of reports that these people are publishing, expecting you to believe things from anonymous sources based on secret documents, which of course nobody can access. There is fake news, fake history, fake law, fake diplomacy, fake democracy. We are being led by the nose and the mainstream media, what I call the corporate media, the conglomerates, have been complicit in this tragedy that has nearly destroyed this human being, Julian Assange. From the legal standpoint, the sellout, the breakdown of the rule of law in the United Kingdom is really tragic because I had in the past a considerable respect for the rule of law in Great Britain. And when I studied law at Harvard Law School, I mean, I admired many of the judgments that I read coming from the United Kingdom. Unfortunately, that has declined. On the international law point, the main issue is the use Kogan's principle of non-refoulement. It is quite clear that international law is impossible to extradite someone like Assange, to extradite it, to expel him, to deport him. But they don't care. The British judges don't care. That is the influence of the executive, the influence of the political on what should be strictly a legal issue. Uh, Dr. Professor Alfred Desires, thanks for joining us. That excerpted interview was by George and Gayatri Galloway from his program called Sputnik Orbiting the World on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia. 
available online at rt.com. There you could listen to the entire 13-minute interview with Alfred. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. The National Assembly of France rejected a draft resolution to offer Julian Assange asylum. Palestinians have protested at the Red Cross office in Gaza Strip over Israeli treatment of political prisoners in their jails. The United Nations World Food Program estimates that 30 million people in the Horn of Africa are facing severe hunger due to drought conditions. Radio Havana, Cuba. France's National Assembly has rejected a draft resolution urging the French government to grant political asylum to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. After being submitted to the consideration of a group of parliamentarians, the project received 17 votes in favour and 31 against. According to the authors of the initiative, the Australian journalist has been subjected to judicial and political persecution by the United States for more than a decade. The High Court of Justice in London gave the green light to the activists' extradition to the United States December last. But in January, it was ruled that Assange could appeal this decision in the UK Supreme Court. The charges against him carry a maximum sentence of 175 years in prison. Advocates and families of Palestinian prisoners have protested at the Red Cross office in the besieged Gaza Strip, Israel's inhumane treatment of Palestinian political prisoners and in solidarity with thousands of inmates languishing inside Israeli jails. According to the Commission of Detainees and Ex-Detainees Affairs, hundreds of Palestinian prisoners are suffering from medical negligence in so-called administrative detention, where incarceration periods can be renewed indefinitely. During a press conference outside the Red Cross office, the Islamic Jihad movement slammed this inhumane Israeli position. Denied basic human rights, Palestinian prisoners that continue to languishing behind bars in Tel Aviv continues to violate international law and norms regarding the treatment of prisoners. Palestinian prisoners also suffer from inhumane detention conditions such as prolonged solitary confinement. The latest figures by human rights groups show that the Israeli regime has a arrested over one million Palestinians, including women and children, since 1967. The United Nations World Food Program, the WFP, has confirmed that an estimated 13 million people in the Horn of Africa are facing severe hunger. Drought conditions have affected farmer and pastoral populations across southern and southeastern Ethiopia, southeastern and northern Kenya, and south-central Somalia, with forecasts of below-average rainfall threatening to worsen already dire conditions in the coming months. Michael Dunford, Regional Director of the WFP Regional Bureau for Eastern Africa, said in a statement on Tuesday that, quote, Harvests are ruined, livestock is dying, and hunger is growing as recurrent droughts affect the Horn of Africa. The situation requires immediate humanitarian action and consistent support to build the resilience of communities in the future. Shortages of water and pasture due to three consecutive failed rainy seasons have decimated crops and caused abnormally high life stock death. Additionally, hikes in staple food prices, inflation and low demand for agricultural labour have reduced people's ability to purchase food. Malnutrition rates also remain high across the region and could worsen if no immediate action is taken.
The WFP said families are being forced from their homes, leading to increased conflict between communities. Earlier this month, UNICEF, the children's agency, said that more than 6 million people in Ethiopia are expected to need urgent humanitarian aid by mid-March. The United Nations has repeatedly raised alarm over prolonged drought in the fragile region prone to armed violence. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcast links are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Jennifer Morgan, an American co-leader of Greenpeace International, has been chosen to be special envoy for the international climate action in Germany's federal government. Then a report on the anti-vaccine convoys blocking roads and bridges in Canada. In France and Belgium, similar convoys are being stopped. Protesters are arrested in New Zealand, Mexico is taking a pause in relations with Spain, and cannabis is being legalized in Thailand. Then a brief report on the NATO and U.S. troop buildup on the edges of Russia. Radio Deutsche Welle. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock has recruited the head of Greenpeace International as her special envoy for international climate change. Jennifer Morgan takes on the role as Berlin steps up its efforts to tackle climate change. Ms. Morgan was born in the United States and will be the first person to hold this newly created post in Europe's largest economy. After 30 years of environmental activism, she says she can make a difference. I want to use my long-time expertise in the climate movement and in think tanks for my political work now in order to support and promote Germany's and the EU's goals internationally. My goal is to build a proactive interministerial team Germany. Together with other ministries, we want to build that team in order to reach true climate neutrality and global climate justice together. Time is running out. Well, let's get more from DW political correspondent Simon Young. Welcome, Simon. So what will uh, Jennifer Morgan do in this newly created role? Yeah, Phil, she'll uh, be the government's uh, chief specialist on international climate policy, a role perhaps a little bit akin to uh, John Kerry as the uh, US uh, climate envoy. So she'll be uh, developing uh, the government's international climate policy positions, for instance, for the annual global uh, climate conferences uh, and, uh, you know, working leading on the development of uh, uh, foreign policy in relation to the climate, something that this government says that it wants to put the, at the heart of everything it does. So this is a newly created role at this level, a very senior civil servant. Uh, and of course, Jack, Jennifer Morgan has definitely got the contacts book for it. Uh, she's been leading uh, Greenpeace for many years and has been in uh, other environmental organisations. And we can hear what uh, the Green Foreign Minister, Annalena Baerbock, uh, said about Jennifer Morgan uh, just earlier today. 
I know of no other person in the world with the same degree of expertise, networks and credibility in international climate policy. And the fact that we were able to win Jennifer Morgan for the German team means, for me, we are filling the position with the ideal candidate and it is an important signal for international climate action. Well, Simon Young, not everyone is convinced that Jennifer Morgan is such a good fit for the job. Uh, tell us why. That's right. I mean, uh, opposition uh, parties have said that she is essentially a lobbyist for, uh, for the causes she represents. And they say that it's unusual uh, for a, a, an activist of this kind uh, to uh, be put in this uh, very senior, powerful role within the uh, government. Uh, and... Um, they uh, also say that uh, it's questionable whether an organisation like Greenpeace really deserves this kind of uh, recognition. Uh, its protests, of course, not seldom uh, cause people to break the law uh, and so can sometimes be dangerous. Viewers might remember uh, the incident during the Euro Football Championship last year when a, a Greenpeace uh, activist parachuted into a football stadium in Munich uh, and that was criticised as dangerous. And indeed, Jennifer Morgan herself has joined in uh, some of those kind of direct action protests uh, in the past. Right. Uh, and, and, but she's not actually German. So how does she get this big job acting on behalf of the German government? Yeah, Jennifer Morgan's a US citizen, but she speaks fluent German and she's lived in Germany for almost uh, 20 years. But it's true uh, she can't take up uh, the, the full uh, position as a civil servant um, uh, until she becomes a German citizen, which she's, uh, she's applied to do. Uh, so initially, when she takes up this role at the beginning of next month, she'll just be, as it were, an advise in advisory capacity. Uh, and this is something, too, that people have criticised, they say, should her application for German citizenship be uh, speeded up? Uh, well, that can happen in some uh, circumstances. Some have also asked if, as an American, uh, you know, she comes into this job, can she really represent German interests? Well, I think the answer to that seems to be, you know, the climate crisis is a global crisis. All right. Thank you for that, Simon. Simon Young, a politics correspondent. Well, that action by Canadian truckers is having an economic impact. Around 100 anti-vaccine activists are blocking a key bridge linking Canada and the US. Drivers are refusing to move until the government scraps a rule requiring them to be fully vaccinated before entering Canada. The Ambassador Bridge would normally be humming with traffic. But these protesters have brought that grinding to a halt. For three days now, they've been blockading this key border crossing. They're part of the so-called Freedom Convoy that started in opposition to mandatory COVID vaccinations for truckers, but has since snowballed into a broader expression of anger with pandemic restrictions and Canada's government. The White House says the blockade is concerning. The Ambassador Bridge is Canada's busiest link to the United States and accounts for about 25% of trade uh, between the two countries. And so the blockade poses a risk to supply chains. For now, many trucks are being forced to detour nearly two hours to this alternative bridge. Protesters have also paralyzed the heart of Canada's capital for nearly two weeks. They say they won't leave until all pandemic restrictions are scrapped. Stand up for our freedom. Stand up for our children, our future. No mandates, no vaccines, unless people 
choose to take a vaccine. With more than 400 trucks blocking roads, most businesses in the area have been forced to close. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said his government won't change course. Police have seized thousands of litres of fuel as part of efforts to break the blockades. But protesters appear determined and are settling in for the long haul. France and Belgium have banned protesters against COVID-19 restrictions from blocking roads in their capitals. Convoys from all over France are heading to Paris, inspired by truckers in Canada who have paralysed parts of Ottawa. A similar blockade has been planned for Brussels. Police have been told to issue tickets and arrest anyone who violates the ban. And police in New Zealand's capital, Wellington, arrested more than 50 people as they sought to end a protest against coronavirus mandates and restrictions. Several hundred demonstrators had been camped out for three days in front of Parliament. Around 80% of New Zealanders are fully vaccinated, with jabs required for some frontline staff. President of Mexico says he wants a pause in relations with Spain. Andres Manuel López Obrador says he deal, says deals with Spanish energy firms by previous governments put Mexico's state utility provider at a disadvantage. The president's plans to strengthen state control of the Mexican energy market have raised concerns among foreign firms about protecting their investments there. Thailand has moved a step closer to decriminalizing marijuana. The government has officially dropped cannabis from its list of controlled drugs. That means all parts of the plant will soon be allowed to be used in the country. However, extracts with too much of the psychoactive component THC, they will remain illegal. They're bolstering NATO's borders. On Wednesday, U.S. troops arrived in southeastern Poland. The United States has also begun moving its forces from Germany to Romania. Around a thousand NATO troops are expected to follow in the coming days. Denmark has also announced that it's enhancing its military preparedness, deploying fighter jets to the Baltic Sea. But many Western analysts do not see NATO's actions in response to the more than 100,000 Russian troops amassed near Ukraine's borders as a direct defense of Ukraine. Now, in terms of numbers, uh, this is meant to be a, a symbolic show of resolve that the, the NATO is united and it will defend its members if attacked. For Ukraine, we've provided arms and training, but we're not providing any direct forces. Nobody is. Further consignments of British weapons have arrived in Ukraine. Britain has said it only intends them to be used in self-defense. Speaking in Berlin on Wednesday, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said a dual approach was needed, adding that while all diplomatic channels must be pursued, allies must be prepared to act if Russian forces cross these borders and enter Ukraine. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet. We will conclude with NHK Japan. 
The Japanese prime minister spoke with the Iranian leader in hopes that talks with the U.S. go well this week. A report on increasing COVID cases in Japan and the extension of emergency measures. On the heels of a severe multi-year drought, a cyclone and heavy rains tore through Madagascar, leaving over 90 dead and 90,000 homeless. NHK Japan. Japan's prime minister says he hopes to see an early revival of the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. His comments come as talks between the U.S. and Iran reach a sensitive point. Kishida Fumio held a teleconference with Iran's leader on Wednesday. It was Kishida's first conversation with Iranian President Ebrahim Raisi since he became prime minister last October. The two leaders exchanged views on the indirect talks between the United States and Iran to revive the controversial nuclear deal. On Wednesday, American officials said the talks were at an urgent point and that an agreement will be impossible if it's not reached in the coming weeks. Kishida stressed that Japan has consistently supported the agreement. The leaders agreed to remain in close contact. We begin with the coronavirus situation here in Japan, where the government has opted to extend the quasi-emergency in Tokyo and 12 other prefectures until March 6th. The request for the public to avoid unnecessary travel and restaurants and bars to close early had been due to expire on Sunday. The number of infections is still on the rise. Also, experts are warning that the number of seriously ill patients could increase down the road. We need to remain vigilant to avoid possible social and economic problems. When one more prefecture, Kochi, is added to the list on Saturday, the quasi-emergency will encompass 36 of the country's 47 prefectures. Currently, one in about 80 Tokyo residents has tested positive. They are either hospitalized or recuperating at a facility or at home. The Tokyo Metropolitan Government reported nearly 19,000 new cases on Thursday. That's about 1,700 fewer than last Thursday and the second day in a row to see a week-on-week decline. Still, experts say Tokyo remains in the grip of an unprecedented critical situation. The seven-day moving average of new cases reached 17,686 on Wednesday. That's over 1,600 more than the previous week. Now, outside the capital, the infection rate also remains stubbornly high. Authorities reported nearly 100,000 new cases across the nation on Thursday. 1,270 people were listed in serious condition, up 58 from the day before. 164 coronavirus-related deaths were confirmed. The death toll from a devastating cyclone in Madagascar has risen to more than 90. Cyclone Batsirai slammed into the island nation off the southeastern coast of Africa on Saturday. Heavy rain flooded rivers and high winds blew the roofs off houses. Authorities said Wednesday at least 92 people have died and over 90,000 are displaced. They said 71 of the deaths occurred in a hard-hit southeastern district where houses were swept away by floodwaters. They added 95% of the structures in an east coast city were destroyed. Madagascar was still reeling from a storm that struck last month. Cyclone Anna killed 55 people, while flooding and other disasters affected more than 100,000. 
Japan has delivered emergency supplies, including hundreds of tents and blankets, to the country. The UN World Food Program is calling on the international community to provide swift assistance. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 7.245 and 9.865 or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.